Welcome to Game Over Montreal, a fifth straight win in this economy. How absurd. I can't believe we are at this point. And at the same time, the Toronto Maple Leafs are about to possibly blow a 7-2 lead against the lowly Detroit Red Wings. So let's talk about it with my guest, Jared Book. How's it going, Jared? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. And as may people may notice, I've got an extra little bit here on the stream chat. I've got like just a, a shot of Steve Dangle to give us a, an idea of how the Leafs are doing. I'm going to make, I'm going to make it a little bit bigger actually, because it's a little bit small. I don't know if people can see and just, just look at the look on Steve's face. Oh, somebody says is nine, seven now. Oh, oh, that that's annoying. I hope, I hope they actually tie it up because it would just be too good. But Steve's face, this is a capture from his stream that he's currently doing. It's uh pretty amazing. What's going on right now in Detroit? Um, I mean, Detroit has some skill for sure, but Jack Campbell, Peter Mrazek, you got to stop a shot once in a while. Like, what is going on here? But let's talk about the Montreal game because this isn't a Leafs stream. I know people get upset a little bit when we talk about the Leafs, but let's be honest here. The Maple Leafs are the main character, right? Like every year. They're the main character, but let's talk about Montreal because uh, that's a little bit more fun for the fans of this team because uh, five straight, five straight now, Jared, something that <laughs> yeah. the Leafs ha- or the uh, Canadians haven't done. I believe they said on the broadcast since 2016, 17, <laughs> what a turnaround. Yeah. Yeah. You, you mentioned goaltending when you mentioned the Leafs. I mean, that's what Montreal is getting now, right? They're getting saves. Samuel Montembeau is making saves. Andrew Hammond is making saves. It's what they couldn't get. Like, you know, they're getting what, like 800 save percentage, <laughs> like through, through like the, the, the lengthy losing streak. Um, yeah. I mean, it, that was just, you knew it was going to come back to the middle a little bit, um, but that's, that's a key part of why they're winning. I mean, you know, they weren't winning two, one games, <laughs> you know, two weeks ago. No. And I, the thing is, if the, if the Leafs can come out of this and win a, nine to seven game and not blow it. I feel like it's actually something good that they can like get close to blowing it and not blowing it. But yeah, the Canadians weren't winning the, the two to one games either. It's crazy how bad the goaltending has been for most of the season for the Montreal Canadians to how good Montembeau and Hammond have been in this short stretch. And I feel like we got to spend some time on Hammond because he was the Hamburglar for the Ottawa Senators. This is the second start for the Canadians. It would almost be more perfect if it was his first, but I thought both him and uh, Matt Murray, despite this game not being like absolutely thrilling, were pretty great tonight. Like I would go so far as to say that like Matt Murray in particular made some sensational saves. Hammond, I thought, just like did an excellent job of sticking with the puck because the Senators are very good at moving it laterally and kind of creating chaos. He wasn't necessarily making um, incredible saves like I think Matt Murray made several times, but he was just always in the right spot. And that's basically what you need. Yeah, I mean, how long has it been since the Montreal Canadiens goaltender just made the saves that he needed to make? Like, it's been so long. Like, it's, you know, it's making people 
think back to like the playoffs and Gary Price. Like that's how like Jake Allen was good at the start of the season, but I mean, it just, it, it wasn't happening very often, especially recently. The last few months has been awful, but I mean, you know, there's lots of parts of the team that were awful, but it, it's just so refreshing to get goaltending where a mistake isn't automatically going to end up in the back of the net. And I think that that's kind of what Martin St. Louis is kind of preaching a little bit, but you mentioned Montembeau and Hammond. I mean, how long has it been since Montreal had the goaltenders that were like the good story, right? Like it's always like the French Canadian goaltender who comes into Montreal and gets a shutout in his first game or something. And now it's, it's, you know, Montreal getting Montembeau who gets his first shutout, uh, you know, in his home province. And then Andrew Hammond goes to Ottawa and wins a game in Ottawa. Like it's been a while since Montreal's had that story. It's usually happening to Montreal. You know, it's the whole like first NHL goal against them kind of thing all over again. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Like just not having the first goal go in within the first couple of minutes seems to be the biggest difference maker for this team. Because like all season long, even Jake Allen, when he was playing really well, it seemed like the first goal was going in on like the first or second shot of the game. And it's just deflating. And I know like talking to a lot of uh, people around the league, this year for this show analysts scouts what have you the key to what made them you know effective last year was really the fact that they were able to get leads in the playoffs and then capitalize on mistakes on the counterattack. they haven't been able to do that this year because they haven't had leads <laughs> like they've been trailing from the from the outset and that's really exposed all their weaknesses it's been really incredible to see them turn things around and like like you mentioned, like St. Louis, what he's preaching is obviously getting through, but just being able to not be down all the time is gigantic. Yeah. I mean, it, it's been so long since, you know, when the one, one goal went in, I was like, Oh, right. That's what happens when you leave a guy wide open in the slot. Like it's been a while since that happened for them. Like the Canadians have done that all year where they've left guys completely wide open. And then, you know, it happens today and I, I don't remember the last time it happened. That's, you know, it's, it's, it's that's like the, the biggest, you know, testament you can give to Martin St. Louis is that it's been a while since a guy was wide open in the slot and scoring goals, you know, and, and that's what happened today, but they bounced back to their credit and it's, it's refreshing. Like the guys seem to be having fun again and, and they all say it and it's all like, it just takes such a load off. I think you mentioned being from behind all the time. Like, I just think that it's, they just don't, it, it doesn't matter anymore. It's, it's very, it's, it's, it's a, it's refreshing, you know, to, to see it, to watch it as a fan, like, or even as a fan, just watching it is so much more pleasant than it had been, you know? And, and I think that it's, it's funny because there's certain stages of the season, right? There was the GM change. There was, you know, hiring of Kent Hughes. There was the firing of Dominic Ducharme. And, and it seems like the firing of Dominic Ducharme and the hiring of Martin Saint-Louis is the first time where it really, you notice the difference on the ice. And, and that's normal, right? Because GM changes don't affect the on-ice product very quickly. Um, but, but it just seems like that's the one where people are like, okay, now we can start looking towards the future. Yeah. And as you say that, uh, Marner scores his fourth of the game in the Toronto game, puts up to 10 <laughs> to 7 now. At so. seven. It's yeah. that's probably out of reach. I, I think uh, the Detroit Red Wings are done here. I don't. I don't know if they're going to score three more yeah. goals in four minutes. So unfortunate. But we're going to keep Steve's face in the stream because it's just too funny not to have it. <laughs> the if, if any team is going to lose, a, if any team is going to lose eleven ten, though, it's going to be Toronto, right? Oh, like, absolutely. If, if, if any team does that, it, it's Toronto. So, but yeah, I think I think ten. Uh, 
10 step is a little bit out of reach, but I think something else just happened because my timeline is going crazy again. So I don't know. Maybe, it's it all, did, maybe it there's something always <laughs> happening. It's just, it, it feels like, it feels like the David Ayers game where the whole timeline is just laughing at Toronto. Yeah. I mean, I, and for good reason, <laughs> how do you give up seven goals and win the game though? I mean, that that's kind of impressive in, from that respect. All right. So, uh, <laughs> I have some notes here from during the game and I have to say, I'm a, I'm a little bit annoyed that Corey Schooneman has been so damn good because I haven't memorized how to spell his name yet. And uh, that's, that's throwing me off a little bit, but I will say <laughs> that that's a, he has been well, a great surprise. About, yeah. One of the good things about covering a rocket is, is I had to learn that very early last year. And uh, there was one game when it was, they had, they had Schooneman, they had um, a Jack eye in the, in the preseason as well. Like just, just like complete, you know, names where you like, it just, crazy like last year's rocket had a couple of players like that um but then uh, he's Munanov was another guy who they had the rocket had last year and so the spelling was was a, a challenge early on but yeah Schooneman's been great and and I and I think that you know he's we talk about guys getting their chance and running with it and you know the, the obvious ones are Michael Pozzetta Laurent Dauphin even a little bit this year but but Corey Schooneman's like <laughs> taking that job and like running with it like he he just provides something that like no one else in this Canadian's defense does which is weird Stable to say, but I, I just, yeah, exactly. Just like he doesn't have to play 20 minutes and he's just there and he makes the smart play and it's, it's subtle a lot of the time, but there's so often where subtle is, is not what this Canadian defense has done well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, uh, it, it's good to see him because he's a guy who look a year ago at this time, like he didn't even have an NHL contract. <laughs> <laughs> or, or like a year and a half ago at this time, like he was on AHL contract the start of last season, uh, an NCAA free agent playing in the ECHL, and, and now he is, you know, basically one of the top six defensemen on the Montreal Canadiens. And depending on what happens in trading at uh, the trade deadline, he's might have more ice time coming up as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I would say he will have more ice time coming up. It's funny, you know, sometimes yeah. the the stats bear out your eye test, and sometimes they don't because. Watching this game, I thought that uh, Alex Romanov and Ben Sherratt struggled mightily. And those are the guys, they are the two leaders in both expected goals for percentage and Corsi for percentage, according to Natural Stat Trick. Would not have called that, but I know they spent a lot of time on the ice with the top line. But the fact is, both of them are above 85% expected goals for percentage. That's that's pretty impressive. So I'm not going to criticize them tonight, even though I was planning to, because uh, the stats bear out that they had a pretty decent game. <laughs> but uh, one person who I will criticize, despite the fact that he is playing better, is Mike Hoffman. I think since the coaching change, he has been far more engaged. He's very clearly, I think, like he cares now. He's trying. However, every single game, and I said this on Twitter, he does four or five things where I'm like, what on earth possessed you to do that? And he did it twice tonight on the same power play where he just like, he has time, he has space. And then he's like, I'm going to throw the puck right in between the two point men for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> and it's just like, I don't understand if he's just like, he has like a malfunction in his brain and th- does like the worst possible thing, but he seems to like just do that every single game. I don't understand <laughs> it. Like, where's this coming from? I, I know, like I said that and senators fans were in my mentions, like, yeah, that's his whole career, but I don't know. I just, 
That's crazy. Yeah, it, 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 it's like he has like two modes. It's like shoot, and if that option is not there, he just doesn't have a second option, and he just panics. Um, but it's funny because you mentioned being more engaged as the coaching change. There's one game, I think it might have been the the overtime game where where Caulfield scored, uh, where he made like two defensive plays. Yes, in overtime. Yes, and I'm, and I'm like, whoa, I'm like, whoa, he 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 can play defense, and and it's just like. It's he's been like he's not known to be a defensive player, but he just sometimes he he gets it right, and, and but so sometimes he just gets it wrong, and and yeah, you mentioned I think it's just a byproduct of a guy who has the puck on his stick a lot, and I think that that's kind of his strength, even on the power play. Like he's not the quarterback, but he likes he's kind of like Caulfield in the sense that he likes to have the puck on his stick a lot, and and I think that the problem with that is that sometimes and the Canadians' power play has been dreadful anyway. That sometimes there's just not an option. He just kind of struggles and. But uh, yeah, he's a frustrating player, but at least I feel like since the coaching change, they're at least playing him to his strength. They're not trying to t- say, hey, Mike, play defense. Yeah, they're <laughs> not sticking him with Nick Suzuki and saying play on the yeah. shutdown line. Right, right. Like, And I feel like that's where Dominic Ducharme struggles so much is that he was trying to fit everybody. In, like He was trying to make everybody the same player, right? And and, and it just wasn't working. And I, I don't want to get too much into Dominic Ducharme because we're, we're passive, but I feel like that's the biggest difference is that you look at the Canadians now and everyone looks like a different player. Like Caulfield looks like Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki looks like Nick Suzuki. And it's, you know, it's not like Jake Evans looks different and it's just, everyone kind of is playing into that kind of, you know, their own individuality. And I think that that's kind of uh, what's behind this team looking so much more free is that they just are looking that way. And even a guy like Schooneman, right? Like under Ducharme, he was just kind of like there. And now he's just making plays and, and, you know, even Chris Weidman is doing little things like that. It just, it just seems like it's, it's, it's so much better for everyone involved. And it's, it's such an indictment, I think on, on how things were before that, like just players being themselves is like this huge accomplishment. It's just, it's just crazy. Like, I don't know. It's, I feel bad for Ducharme too, because I don't think he's that bad of a coach, but man, he was bad. Yeah. That's <laughs> like, what I've been I, saying recently is I, I feel like yeah. in a couple of years, we're going to see a situation where Ducharme actually does have some NHL level success and he's yeah. going to like rehab his image quite a bit, but the confluence of events that happened here and he was a part of the failure yeah. And the fact that it's turned around so quickly under St. Louis, it like it makes him look awful. And maybe he won't look as yeah. awful by season's end because like eventually this winning streak is going to go away and they probably will start losing a bit more often because, let's face it, the roster is still not great. But it, he looks terrible. <laughs> like There's no way to get around it. He looks terrible right now. And it, just, it just feels like everyone on this coaching staff was here with Ducharme. Everyone, Burroughs, Richardson, Latowski, they're all there. And this is, is all it really took is Marty St. Louis saying, hey, guys, when there's two guys on one guy, that means somebody's open. Don't do that. Like, did it take four, like one guy to come in and like make that change? Like, I just, it's, it's so weird that everything is just gone. Like, I just feel like he was stuck in between trying to get this roster to the playoffs and trying to coach the way he can coach. Like, I just... I don't know if I feel like I during the playoffs last year, it was a little bit different because the game completely different and the players just kind of took over. And it's funny because when you're down three, one to Toronto and I don't want to, I, I know we're supposed to be talking about this game, but when you're down three, one to Toronto, he just kind of said, okay, guys go. 
And that's what they did. And then this year he reverted back to play defense. And and this team is not built to play defense. Like no, you don't get Mike Hoffman and Jonathan Drouin and Josh Anderson and say, hey guys, let's win two one. And I feel like he was trying to win every game two one. And the problem with that is that when you're not getting good goaltending and you're down two nothing after 10 minutes, you're not going to win the game two one. <laughs> and I just feel like it was, I don't think he's a bad coach, but I think he was the bad, a bad coach for this team. And, and I think that that's what's playing out is, and I'm not, I don't even know if Marty St. Louis is going to be a good coach, but he's the perfect coach for right now. And, and I think that that's, that's what you're seeing right now. And, and I think that that's the difference is that, they're going from a coach that was not right for this situation to a coach that's absolutely perfect for this situation. And the pressure is different too, right? Like Dominic Ducharme entered the season trying to make the playoffs and Marty St. Louis is trying to, you know, not lose seven to one every night. Yeah. They're very different expectations, but I don't even know if it's that. I think Marty, Marty St. Louis is just trying to get the guys to have fun. Right. Yeah. Like I, I think how many times have they mentioned that since he came <laughs> aboard, right? Just like, just make hockey fun again. And yeah, I mean, clearly he's accomplished that, and there are guys on this team who want to compete. You look at Arturi Lekkonen tonight. You look at Brennan Gallagher tonight. Those guys absolutely wanted to get this done. Arturi Lekkonen obviously uh, was the one who accomplished it. I got it. We got a request here to talk about Sherratt on the power play, and I will talk about that, even though I said I wasn't going (laughs) to criticize him. But I got to talk about Brennan Gallagher a little bit first because, like, I I just – what has he got to do? To score at five on five, zero five on five, zero even strength goals this year. He has an expected goals of seven at five on five, zero. Like, that's, give that's him a bone. Butter, he right? could have had two tonight. <laughs> that's his bread and butter too, right? Like all all throughout the years, last like four or five years, he's been one of the top five on five producers in the NHL, right? Like. His numbers don't show up because he doesn't get power play goals usually um, because the Canadians power play has been a black hole for the last few years. But, but I mean, that's his bread and butter, butter right? Like it's in Cole Caulfield is shooting like 1%. Like, yeah. you know, it's going to turn around. Like it's, it's unnaturally low, right? Like even, even, you know, mentioned the goaltending before, like Sam Montembeau getting a 700 save percentage, like it's going to turn around. Like no, nobody is that bad. And so it's, it's just, it's just frustrating for him because he's somebody who cares so much. That like when he's not scoring, it like really seems to like. I don't think it's affecting him that much because I think the team's winning, and I think that that's what he cares about. But man, yeah, it's just it's uh, yeah, he's gonna get a goal at some point. But it, <laughs> it's just funny to see his reactions to like even when he like gets called for a penalty, it's obvious. He just looks like, oh, what are you doing to me? Like, yeah. how are you doing this to me? I I will say yes. he did look frustrated at times tonight, and I feel like that's part of <laughs> yeah. the issue with Hoffman tonight is. You could tell he really wanted to score against the Ottawa Senators, and he was doing stuff that maybe wasn't very smart in order to accomplish that. And Gallagher as well, like he really, really wanted to score tonight. And I think once he does get that one goal, he's probably going to go on a run just like Caulfield has. Yeah. But I, I'm I just feel bad from there. Are so many times where he just almost gets it, and there, and he actually almost like three times tonight he could have scored. It was crazy. Yeah. And when they were dogpiling him for going after Matt Murray uh, in the third period there, he actually, like, the puck was loose. Gallagher was in the right. It was I know, loose. I know he's never going to get the benefit of the doubt, and, you know, <laughs> players will jump guys for anything around their goaltender, but 
Gallagher, it was he, the puck was loose. All right. Uh, one thing I did want to talk about also before we start talking about Sherratt on the power play is, uh, you know, the Canadians have not started super well in games in terms of like the the underlying numbers under St. Louis. They've kind of like gotten going as the game has gone along. And this one fits that really well. Uh, I, they were better than the Senators in all three periods at even strength. But in the final two frames, they out, outchanced the Senators, according to Natural Hattrick, at Natural Hattrick, sorry, at five on five, 18 to three. They allowed zero scoring chances at even strength in the third period, three in the second period. That is the like prototypical lock it down style. And I got to say, it's nice to see, like, I know that things have kind of been going well for them overall. And I think Caulfield again, probably could have had two or three goals tonight based on the shots that he was getting. And obviously, you know, he didn't get one tonight, which is unfortunate because I want him to keep rolling on. Cause it's such a great story, but to be able to win the two to one grinded out games where you've, earned a good fate by the numbers but aren't like getting the results that you want i feel like that's also a confidence booster for this team because they frankly have not won a game like this i don't think this year at all yeah no exactly and and, you know even you know for saint louis to win a game where the first line isn't carrying the team um on the road especially like I, i think that all those things are 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 good things for this team and you know good coaches will say good teams win different styles of games and and you know the Montreal Canadiens are not a good team right like let's let's put that under like they're not a playoff team right now obviously um but they are playing well right now and and it's because they're they're winning different types of games like and and yeah this kind of 2-1 game where they're getting the saves they should be getting and they're getting timely scoring like the last time that happened was the playoffs like it, it literally, like even this game this year, like they didn't win close games. Like they beat, you know, like Pittsburgh and Nashville, like in those like high scoring, like kind of blowout games. And and I just don't know, like their record in one goal games must be awful. Um, I don't know, I don't have it in front of me, but it just feels like they haven't won a close game very often this year. I mean, they haven't won <laughs> they haven't any games very, very often this year. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Um, I'm kind of disappointed in that because I was kind of hoping that they would lose, they would win fewer games than they won in the playoffs last year, um, which kind of seems out the window at this point. But um, I, I was kind of like, that'd be, that'd be, I bet you it never happened before. But uh, yeah, no, it doesn't look likely now. But at least it's fun to watch this team again. I mean, yeah. that's that's the main thing. <laughs> that, that's that's like the biggest thing is, you know, obviously we are paid to watch this team. <laughs> so we have to watch it no matter what. We don't get to tune out. If I wasn't paid to watch this team, I definitely would have tuned out this season yeah. until the coaching change pretty much. But for everyone else who is still tuning in and, you know, continue to tune in because they live and die by the the crest on this sweater, this is phenomenal. <laughs> you know, and I know that there's a lot of people who are like, don't screw up the pick, don't screw up the pick. But there's not a lot that the Canadians can do to really push their way up the standings too far. Like if, if we go to the league standings page, they're still in 31st after this win. 
Oh, no, yeah, 31st. Sorry, I was like, there are 32 teams now. Yeah, 32 teams. <laughs> so they, they have jumped ahead of Arizona, who actually have a game in hand, and if they were to win, could jump them back into 32nd, which is kind of funny. Uh, but they might catch Seattle. They probably won't catch mm-hmm. Buffalo. Like, Buffalo's seven points ahead, and I know there's 29 games left, but seven points, like, as a spread in 29 games yeah. is legitimately difficult to accomplish and yeah and even if they do as long as they keep within the bottom five they have a decent shot at uh, first overall i just don't see the bad in it i I think that getting people like caulfield and suzuki playing confidently again is worth more than the difference between uh shane wright and the next best player i I, like i like shane wright a lot and i think a lot of the people who criticize shane wright as a pick are off base but (laughs) i think it's important to get what you have going and you know i had uh, shane malloy on the show you know probably a month ago now and we were talking about like what the canadians need to do to go forward and you know like build themselves a contender and everyone wants to look at what they're going to be building going forward and, you know, like the picks that they get, the assets they, they bring back at the trade deadline, but it starts before then. Kent Hughes and Jeff Gorton and their incoming development team need to take what's already in the organization and develop that going forward, right? Like they need to take those players and get the absolute maximum out of every single one that they can, because if they don't, the like turning this around becomes incredibly difficult, right? You have to get like Jesse Yalonen should be an NHL player. Like maybe not an amazing one, but somebody who can come in and play NHL quality minutes. I think we saw some of that this year, right? But he can be better. Get the best out of everyone that's currently in the organization. We've already seen, you know, uh, Kent Hughes meeting with Harris and now he thinks they are going to sign him. So like that's another boon, but getting the best out of, all their defensive prospects, you know, Caden Gooley, develop him the right way. We saw Victor Mete tonight, who looked good <laughs> at times and bad at times. I think if Victor Mete came in during this regime, I think we'd be seeing a <laughs> heck of a lot better of a player. Well, yeah, and, you know, you mentioned guys they have. I mean, Matthias Norlander kind of screams out, <laughs> like, you know, just they didn't handle him very well at all. And 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 I think that's the big thing, right? Like, you talk about retool, rebuild, whatever word you want to use. It doesn't make a difference. But if this team doesn't get Nick Suzuki to be the player that they think Nick Suzuki can be, they're paying him a lot of money to be yep. a not very good player. You know, Cole Coffee, like if you don't want to go like scorched earth and hit rock bottom, you need those guys. Like you need Cole Coffee to score goals. You need all these things to happen. Like you need Alexander Romanov to, to be a top four defenseman. You need... You need these guys to hit. And, and I think that that's the major thing that they didn't like the reason why they're in this situation is because they weren't getting guys to hit, right? Whether it's, it's Nathan Bullier or Michael McCarron or Nikita Sherback or Noah Jolson. And, and there's different circumstances for all those players, but they got none of them to hit, <laughs> right? Like, and, and not only did they get none of them to hit, but none of the secondary guys came up either, right? Like it, it was just like nothing was happening, but now you look at what's going on and you look at, Caulfield and Suzuki, and those are the big ones. Romanov, the big, those are the big ones. Gooley, Norlander, guys like that. But then you look at Ryan Paling becoming an NHL player. You know, you look at Corey Schooneman becoming an NHL player. Michael Pizzetta becoming an NHL player. And they're not top players, but you need these guys to be in the mix. And, and that's what's going on in Laval. Like, look at, look at the guys like they got called up 
during the the COVID hit, you know, Raphael Harvey Pinard, you know, all these guys, Joel Teasdale, who was hurt early in the year, these guys, if they can come up and be NHL players, you're laughing, right? Because if you have like, they've had 10 picks a year for what, the last four years or something like that. Like, yeah, they've been making tons of picks and like some yeah, decent since, since high picks too. Yeah. Since 2018, they've had at least 10 picks every year. And in 2017, who did they pick that year? They got Paling. They got Ullinen. They got Primo. They got Josh Brook. Actually, Ullinen was 2018. That's wrong. Uh, but I'm thinking of Yonikinen. But they got Paling, Brook, and and Primo in in that in that 2017 draft. And so if that's where it kind of shifted a little bit. And 2018, you have we're not going to talk about Kakinyemi, but then you have Harris and you have, you know, you have uh, Ulanen who was in that draft. Rom- Ronov was in that draft. And you're getting these, these guys that are coming up and Laval is stocked with prospects now. And, and we didn't see, you know, many of them because everyone was hurt, but I, I, that's the whole thing is that you talk about Jordan Harris and Jaden Struble and, and getting those guys and focusing on player development is, is huge because if you, if you don't get NHL players to come into your lineup, it doesn't make a difference. Like, you know, whether you get Shane Wright or Logan Cooley or Euros Lukowski, like any of those guys in the draft, in the top seven, let's say, if you don't get Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki playing well, what's the point? Yeah. Right? Like there's no players going to turn this around. Like there's no Connor Bedard <laughs> in this draft, right? So you need those guys to kind of go in and, you know, if you get a Shane Wright and Shane Wright, you know, he's getting, I think he's getting hit for what he isn't, which is a generational talent. We use that every year. It's not generational anymore. Like it's, you know, there's one generational talent that's Connor McDavid and maybe Austin Matthews, but like, no, generational talent is not something that happens every year. But if you can get a solid player, like Shane Wright is, are you telling me that like people are comparing to Patrice Bergeron? You're telling me that you would you would not take Patrice Bergeron first overall, <laughs> right? Like, are we are really in a point where you're going to complain about that? Like, if you can take if you can guarantee your first pick is going to be someone like Nick Suzuki, don't you take that every day? Like, I just feel like that's we're we're kind of thinking about like these number one picks and 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 what they should be and what they can be. But I mean, you know, it, I just feel like it, the the re- they're such unrealistic. Like everyone has to be a Connor McDavid and that's just setting yourself up for disappointment. Like, look at, look at what's happening with Jack Hughes or, or Lexi Lafreniere. Like there's Jack Eichel. And, Jack. Yes. Yeah. Jack Eichel. Like it's just like Tyler Sagan is another good example of that. Right. Like he, Taylor Hall, Tyler Sagan. Right. Like I just feel like people don't understand how good some of these players are. And, and you know, it doesn't mean that you're bad. And, and it's just, uh, yeah, it's it, it, it's a it's a group think I think because we're like, oh, Shane Wright's uh, top two center at best. So, okay, that's still pretty good. Like, yeah, like what? <laughs> you know, it's just that's you know that's my rant, I guess. Yeah, and that's the thing. There's a difference between you know getting somebody who might be a top two center in the middle of the first round or something versus getting somebody who is guaranteed a top two center like <laughs> right. tomorrow. Right. Like Shane Wright will probably be in the NHL next year, Uh, whether he'll be a dominant player in the NHL next year, that's up for debate, but there's a lot of good signs that he will be. Um, We did get the request from earlier to talk about Sherratt on the power play. I did kind of write down, like to talk about the power play in general, because 
It was a terrible game for the power was It was really rough looking tonight. Just like nobody could make a good decision. I will say you got to give credit to the Senators for how tightly they checked Caulfield and Suzuki. I thought they were all over those guys. They saw very quickly that they were the key to the power play, and it just kind of all fell apart from there. But Sherratt, yes, uh, from the moment he took a shift on that second wave of the power play and handcuffed Caulfield right in front of his own net and then trying to handle the puck afterwards. And I think he like turned it over twice in a matter of a couple seconds. It was not good. And I said during the game, may as well just put him in there on the power play because at least he can move the puck efficiently. And I thought he was making some good offensive reads. I think there's like the idea of showcasing Sherratt and being like, Oh look, he can play in all these situations. But unless the general managers aren't watching and are only checking ice time, I don't think playing him on the power play is increasing his trade value. Well, I think the whole thing with Ben Chirot, and I, and I mentioned during the game that Arturi Lekina had the best trade value of the Canadians. And, and I, I, I said by far, and it's probably not by far. Like Ben Chirot has a lot of trade value. But, but I think a lot of what Ben Chirot brings is what he's going to do in the playoffs, right? Like it's what, what GMs are looking for at the trade deadline is basically what the Canadians saw the last two years, right? Ben Schrott was okay in the last two regular seasons, right? Like he wasn't great, especially his first year. He wasn't great in the regular season. The I wouldn't even give around. him okay, honestly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, he was bad. Um, yeah, because the, the whole thing was that Joel Edmondson was like starting like Ben Schrott and then ended up very good. Yes. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Ben Schrott was pretty bad in the regular season the last two years. But Bubble in, in the playoff, in the Toronto, he was very good. And that was like, okay, maybe they have something here. And then, you know, the whole Trident thing. And then that last year was like, and a lot of that, yes, Shea Weber, it helps. But but Ben Sherrod is has a, you know, take, should get some credit for that as well. And I think that what benefits him the most is that when penalties aren't called in the playoffs, <laughs> he doesn't get called for penalties anymore. Yeah, you know, somebody <laughs> actually saw busted that. He actually got called for more penalties per minute last year in the playoffs than he did in the regular season. Wow. So he was taking penalties. You know what the difference was? Is that in the playoffs last year, heading into the Tampa Bay series, Harry Price had something like a 98.3% save percentage <laughs> on the PK on the PK. Like yeah. they literally did not scoring. allow a power play goal from I think it was like game four against the Leafs up until the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, that's true. Like, that's that was the major thing, right? Like, and everyone was like, "Oh yeah, Luke Richardson figured it out." And no, just goaltending. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> spectacular goaltending covered a lot of flaws, and the same was true of, of even strength. And I think like that whole idea of like the big four guys lumberjacking their way through the playoffs, like sure, it, it has like a, a modicum of an effect, and maybe over the course of a seven game series, they start wearing guys down. But in terms of it being a great defensive strategy. I find whenever Sherratt gets really physical, that's when he's at his absolute worst because he's ignoring the puck and it's always behind him. And like earlier in the season when he was like aggressively pinching and trying to play offense all the time and kind of ignoring defense, his numbers were spectacular. And like, listen, yes, he was playing with Jeff Petrie who was struggling by the way, but Ben Sherratt's numbers to start the year were great. Ever since he's kind of settled into being normal Ben Sherratt, He's back down to like, I saw, 
I think it was Jay Fresh posted a couple of weeks ago, or no, maybe not a week, one week ago. He has like a a zero percent percentile in war, which means he's like among the worst in the league. But other GMs don't look at that. We don't need to be talking about that right now. It's all about marginal gains, right? Like that you don't you know playoff teams don't need a hundred percent war because it's it's not it's not necessary. They're already good teams. They just need that incremental incremental change and that's but what if you're not brings. but if you have a negative impact you're not actually <laughs> increasing anything but anyway i details, digress details we, Th- that's not my decision to make Andrew. yeah this is not the, the game to really crap on ben Sherrod. he was all right by the numbers so we'll we'll leave him with that um there were some other like more esoteric uh, or not esoteric but just grander questions going on I, I had some questions that i saw on social media uh archery lekanen do we think he gets an even bigger return than tyler to if he gets traded this year i don't think bigger than to but no, i think Toffoli's he's pretty similar. big i think he gets yeah. a first round pick I, though I, I, I think he should i i don't think you trade him if you don't get a first round pick Right, you look at you look at the Blake Coleman trade, and uh, who's the other guy that they trade? Uh, Bla- Barkley Goodrow. Um, I think Lekin is better than oh, one. he's way and better he than Barkley Goodrow. Yeah, and he has team control, right? Like, I think if you're a team like Tampa or a you know a team that's like Colorado, maybe where you're like just one, like imagine him with Nazem Kadri. Like, yeah, like, I've heard Colorado you know, out there like, a lot. Yeah, because I mean, you, you look at what he did with Philip Deneau. In the playoffs, right? Like mm-hmm. he just con- completely shut down other teams. Like you didn't have to worry. Like he shut. He Mark Stone, Mark Stone, right? Like that line, Mark Stone, Mark Stone. Like he, he's not used to having that happen to him. And I just think that if you're, we talk about incremental gains, and I was kind of joking about it with Ben Schrott, but Arturi Lekkinen is that guy that like good teams see value in him. Yes, right. Like if you're a good team, you know what Arturi Lekkinen can bring you, and, and I think that that's something that. You know, teams that are in the bottom part of the draw. I don't think you trade them if you don't get a first round pick. Like if I'm Ken Hughes, I don't I don't trade them. Why yeah, that's you? that's the other thing is like if I'm dealing with Colorado or a team of that level, I'm telling them I want a 2023 first round pick or your best <laughs> prospect or something like that, because I just don't see the point in picking 32nd for Arturi Leggett. I just think he's a better player than that. And I look at I wrote about this for the Gazette. I've, I've had a couple columns on it, actually, just because I think it is an important thing to consider. It, essentially, you want people through this rebuild who show you what it means to wear the jersey, right? And I pointed out, like, Toffoli could have been one of those guys. Well, they traded Toffoli. Brendan Gallagher is probably not going to get traded just because, like, this year at the very least, he's at his absolute <laughs> lowest value. You know, we've talked about him yeah. not hitting the net. You know, Arturi Lekkinen might be at his highest value right now, so he might get traded, but I don't I don't know if I would trade him unless the return you're getting is absolutely massive. Like I, I just think he's the only guy who I can point to throughout Ducharme's tenure who never gave a rough game. Like he just always was there, always giving his best. And I think overall this season, he's probably been the Canadians' best forward which is crazy to say because it's Arturi Lekkinen and like for the most part in his career with the Habs, he's been kind of stuck on the fourth line, but at the like this year, he's actually got the opportunity to move up the lineup and prove that he can do that. And I'm just looking at it and I'm thinking, this is a guy who you can build a third line around 
or even a second line, he can be like the mucker who creates space for the other two guys. I don't know if I move him with the the team control. You know, he's probably not going to get a huge amount of money. He's having a career year. Yes, but I I don't know. I think he cares a lot. And if the plan eventually is to move Brennan Gallagher, like we've talked about it before on the stream that the possibility of going to LA is present with Bergevin in LA with Dano in LA with Dustin Brown being a UFA this summer. They have the space to do it. They're a team that's entering their competitive window. I could see that happening. If they're going to move Brennan Gallagher, I think they almost are like they are behooved to keep Arturi Lekkanen. So it's, it's a tough decision, but I feel like they have, they have to consider what like how bad the teardown is going to be right and it, and it doesn't seem like they yeah. want to tear things down to the bones well that's the whole thing like look Arturi Leckin and you know who you know you'll probably agree with this I don't know if you will but Lars Eller right like mm-hmm. like that's the same typical kind of player where you know he the, the biggest knock on Arturi Leckin throughout the last few years from the fan base from media from lots of people is what he gets Lack tons of, of chances but doesn't finish yep there's something to be said about getting those chances, right? Like that's a good thing, right? Like being in the right place all the time is a good thing, but you mentioned building up into a contender and don't you see, like, I just see like Lekkinen and Jake, uh, Jake Evans being like that, that, that line that could be a third line right now and kind of get you like middle six minutes, but then go into a shutdown line. Once this team kind of gets into their window, you add a, Another, you know, whether it's Christian Dvorak, you know, and, and getting another center to go into that Nick Suzuki Dvorak range, you know, what where ironically Esperica Kanyemi or Philip Deneau would have been. Um, but like you get somebody to go into that range and then you kind of get go, you know, build into that. You know, Arturi Lekin is not old, right? Like in three, four years. And that's kind of what they're looking at. Like he's a player that's going to be perfect in that role in three, four years. Like I just feel like, yeah, it's it would take a lot because if you don't like, I feel the same way as when they traded Lars Eller is like, if you don't have a Lars Eller, a Canadian team needs a Lars Eller. So, you know, like, what are you going to, you know, and they end up getting filled to know, which was, you know, um, you know, they ended up filling that hole anyway, but it just feels like that's the major thing is that they're, they're looking for someone like that. And yeah, Lekin has been great and he's well liked, right? The, the thing that gets me about this team is last year, everyone liked each other. Like they loved each other. Everybody on this team loved each other. And and I, I don't think I've ever seen a team that really got along as well as this team seemed to, right? From Toffoli to Caulfield to Deneau to everybody, Weber, everyone kind of got along, right? Jake Allen. And, and this year, they still had a lot of those pieces, but it just seemed like they didn't want to play together. And But I feel like there's something to be said about the, the, the cohesiveness that this team had. And I don't think that goes away. Like, yes, winning, losing affects that, obviously. But I feel like that's the kind of thing that this team needs to build on. And, and you know, mention, you mentioned guys that they need to keep and who know what it means to wear the, the jersey. And Josh Anderson, like, jumps out as, like, like at first I was, like, trade material. And now I'm, like, future captain. <laughs> like, I just, like, and a yeah. lot of that is, yes, he's playing with he's playing with Suzuki and Caulfield. Like, and you know, anybody can kind of look good with those two at times. But I just feel like he's a guy that can be that kind of middle six on a contending team in three, four years. And, and kind of, you know, you talk about Lekkinen kind of replacing Gallagher. I could see an Anderson kind of being in that role where, you know, what's Gallagher doing now? He's playing with Hoffman and Dofang, which is kind of Dvorak's role kind of thing. But I just feel like that those are guys that, yeah, you need to keep some of them. 
And and I think that they really like Emil Heinemann. And I think that's why they traded to Foley when they did. Um, and I also think that there's a stylistic thing there. I, I don't know if they really saw this team going in a direction where Tyler Toffoli can be Tyler Toffoli. Um, but but I feel like, yeah, Lekkonen kind of just fits this team. I think he, he fits any team like a glove because he just has like, he, he just- Versatility. Be, yeah, he's versatile. Exactly. The versatility is kind of there. Like he can just be up and down the lineup and, and there's something to be said for that. And, you know, I, I kind of, I, I watch a lot of the Rocket. I'm around the Rocket a lot more than I am the Canadians, especially recent years. But but Lucas Vedemo is like the AHL version of Lekkonen where you don't notice him when he's on the third line. But if you need somebody like to play in the top six because of injuries, you can just put him there and he doesn't look out of place. And you kind of saw that in the NHL a little bit with Vedemo this year where he just kind of like played well. And I, I'm not, Lekkonen's like elite version of, of what Vedemo is, but like, I just feel like he has those kind of, you just, you just, you can put him anywhere. Like you put him with Armia and Paling and he looks good. You put him with Caulfield and Suzuki and he looks good. Like there's not many players that can do that. And, and I think there's, that's huge, especially coming at trade deadline. Like if you're just looking for a piece to slot in, like look at Toffoli since he got to Calgary, right? Toffoli is a similar way to that where he just kind of fit every line he was on and and Lekkonen is just really good man I, yeah I I, I Mark, Mark, our friend Mark Dumont always said that there's a Lekkonen test where if you don't see the value in Lekkonen you're not smart yeah that's we used to call that the Eller test back when it was Mark and I yeah. at eyes in the prize right. we used to call yeah. it like Eller was the litmus test that if you thought that he sucked you're not very smart and uh we will leave a lot of people in Montreal media unnamed who were not very smart and then didn't realize that uh, Lars Eller would be a key part in the Washington Capitals winning a Stanley Cup, including scoring the Stanley Cup winning goal, I believe. And yes. also the overtime well, the, the, winning goal that uh, got them out of the first round, which was uh, well, the a funny very thing is, is like The funny thing is, like if Lekkonen gets traded this year to a contender, you can pretty much pencil that team winning a Stanley Cup too, right? Like he's just he's just that guy. Like he always plays he's a playoff player anyway, right? He's a playoff player and and he just he steps it up. Like look at what he did with Frolunda um before he even came to the NHL. He broke Daniel Alfredson's scoring record in that league when by the way, it was a lockout year when Daniel Alfredson was in his prime. And and it just like that's the kind like I'm not expecting him to do that in the NHL, but that's the kind of player he can be in the playoffs. And you look at what Eller has done in the playoffs with Washington. And I just feel like, man, if Lekkonen goes to a team that like needs that one piece, like, oh man, he, like, he's so good. Like Colorado or even like a team like Toronto. Like if he, he's just that, that bottom six in Toronto is not very good. <laughs> right. Like it's not, it's not good. But if you put like a, a Lekkonen in there, I just, it just completely changes some things. And I just think any team that he goes to will move up the playoff power rankings. I think. If you yeah, get moved. I'm I'm with you 100%, and that's part of why I I think the Montreal Canadiens should really consider keeping Arturi Lekkinen, unless the offers are gargantuan. I actually forgot how good Lars Eller was in that playoffs for the Washington Capitals. 18 points in 24 games, seven goals. Like the only knock really on Lars Eller is that he takes a lot of dumb penalties, and Lekkinen doesn't really do that. You know, he's not a center, and he's not as big as Eller. But uh, Lars Zeller has been a very good player for a long time for the Washington Capitals, has had to fill in that second-line center a lot. Uh, while, he did that that year. That, yeah, that, that year. Yeah, that. Backstrom, I think, was out for a bit. Kuznetsov has yeah. missed time. Like He's been a very good player for a long time now and consistent 
uh, about a half point a game for the Washington Capitals since he was traded. Really unlocked something with him uh, when he was given a little bit more trust. So sometimes you don't know what you got until it's gone, unless you're somebody who pays attention to the underlying numbers, and then you do know, and you get really mad at the team for making bad decisions. Anyway, I digress. Uh, John Sedgwick, we should talk about, was named the first uh, AGM for Kent Hughes. Um, We kind of talked about on the last stream that the whole promise of diversity has not been delivered on so far from this new management group. My thought on it was that you, we probably should give them until the summer after the draft when things kind of loosen up and there's more movement between teams to kind of start hammering down on that. But wh- where are you sitting on this, Jared? Do you think that they need to start moving on the diversity train a little bit quicker? I think they do, but we also have to think, look at the people who are rumored to be involved in the diversity, right? The, the big name was Emily Castonguay. And I think that once they were going in the direction of Ken Hughes, they didn't need another agent. And, 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 and she had a connection to Vancouver. I think that that might've been a thing where she only would have gone to, to the Canucks. And I feel like the Canadians didn't need, they don't need two agents in there. Once you got Ken Hughes, you're not going to hire another agent. So I could kind of understand that. Cami Granato, who got, hired by Vancouver was never coming to Montreal. Like I just, you know, she has a Montreal connection, but that was never going to happen. So yes, it doesn't look good that other teams are hiring diversity. Specifically Vancouver not, three times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And when, when Montreal has promised it and not delivering on it, but look at who they would have been hiring. The winter Olympics women's hockey just ended. There's a lot of women involved with that team that would have been, in Montreal sites, Daniel Sauvageau was announcing in Beijing. Uh, Gina Kingsbury was GM of that team. Uh, Carolyn Ouellette was broadcasting for, um, you know, during the Olympics as well and has commitments to Concordia University this year. Julie Chu, same thing, commitments to Concordia University. I just feel like if you're not going to hire them as GM, which they obviously weren't going in that direction, although I think Sauvageau was interviewed, I, I just think that you give it more time. And Yes, they hired uh, a head of uh, amateur scouting. Um, they hired uh, an assistant general manager. They hired a general manager. But there's still a lot of jobs left to be open. They're going to hire other assistant general managers. They're going to hire tons of player development. And that is where you get a lot of women. Montreal is full of women's hockey players that have tons of coaching experience, skill coaching experience, uh, player development experience. That you know, they, there's rumors that they talked to Marie Philippe Poulain, um, for, yeah, for that a was... job, and I don't think she's ready for that, yeah. But I just feel like there, look, I, I'm I've been on the women's hockey train for a long time. If you don't know me, that's that's been my 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 thing for a long time. I'm it doesn't look good, I and I the it doesn't pass the optics right now, but yes, I agree, give them time. Uh, you know, so many of these people had just come off the Olympic Olympics where they were working and have commitments. And so, yeah, I'm willing to give them time, but if they come back next October and there's still no diversity, whether it's people of color or women or anything like that, and all they have is Chantal McAvey, okay, they deserve some criticism. But right now I'm willing to pump the brakes a little bit on that because it's still, there's still, there's so many jobs. Like Jeff Gordon, all he's been talking about is expanding the front office, right? Hiring tons more people. And they haven't done that. All they've done so far is backfilling. 
Yep. So, I mean, Mark, Mark Bergevin had like what three assistant general managers. He had uh, Mellenby, he had Lapointe, he had Dudley for a little bit, right? Like they're, they're going to hire other people. Like Cedric is basically an assistant general manager anyway. Like yes. when, 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 when the Canadians announced that he was assistant general manager, I was like, wasn't he already? Like, he I thought that too. Yeah. Legal, <laughs> he was vice president of like, ho- like some like executive vice president of like, Hawk, not hockey operations, but like it was like legal um, affairs and personnel. He was also he was running their cap yeah. for a while as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, but like uh, Sedgwick also, uh, I know just from people that I've talked to who know the organization, he was also doing like all their analytics. Mm-hmm. He's not an analytics <laughs> person, but it seems like he's now in charge of building that analytics department. And just based on what he was talking about, that department is probably going to be among the biggest in the league. He talked about like specific jobs that he's looking at. (laughs) And it's not just like, we're going to hire some guy from Twitter. He wants to hire serious scientists and then bring in hockey people who are analytics people to essentially take that and translate it for the GMs, the, the management group, the coaching staff to then apply, which is super exciting because that's kind of the setup that you want it to be. So like (laughs) from what Cedric said, I mean, I already knew he was a super smart dude just based on like the things that trickle out of the Montreal management group that like that whole Bergevin era, everybody that I talked to who I respect was like, yeah, there's like one smart guy in there and it's John Cedric. He's like the one guy holding on to sanity while everybody else is super emotional. So Cedric is a good one. He's going to make some good decisions. I'm super excited to see what they can build there. Uh, We have a question here from uh, Eon or Leon. I don't know which one you'd rather go by. I don't think you've ever told me, buddy, but uh, he's always here for the streams. Really appreciate it. Says uh, who's sticking around when Jake Allen comes back. That's a thing. I think Jake Allen might get traded at the deadline. I think there's a real opportunity yeah, if he's, if he's for healthy. It. Yeah, if he's healthy yeah, if he's a- by the deadline, or they like, or if he's close and teams are, like have access to his medical records, I I think he could very easily get traded, and he might not be going that far. He might just be going down uh, down the road to <laughs> Toronto because they desperately need something to solidify back there, and Peter Mrazek is not the guy. Yeah. I don't think, like, thinking long-term, and yes, the goaltending was, like, an urgent need to get Andrew Hammond. Like, they needed to get Primo out of the NHL. But I don't think you make that move if you're expecting Allen to come back, or Price, for that matter. But, you know, different story. Uh, either one of them coming back anytime soon, because you already have a logjam in Laval right now, right? You have Keaton Primo, you have Michael McNiven, you have Kevin Poulin, who has been playing really good uh, in, in Laval as well. So, you know, you add another goalie to that mix. Like, I don't think, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I think that Allen would, will likely get traded if he's back before the deadline or anywhere close, even if you don't get like top, top value for him. Um, yeah. I think that's a good call because yeah, he, you look at Edmonton, you look at Toronto, you look at Vegas who just lost Robin Leonard. Um, there's, there's opportunities for goaltenders uh, for good teams that need goaltenders. And, yeah. and he can solidify that. Like, look what he did to Montreal, right? Like, they, they you know, last year, did they even make the playoffs without Jake Allen? Not a chance. Not a chance. It's so, yeah, I just think that he's he's gotten a bad rap because he's not Carey Price, but he doesn't have to be Carey Price, especially this year. But No, and especially you know, on a team that isn't year, built was... to just rely on goaltending, right? Which the Canadians have right. been for a very long time. 
So like right. Jake Allen this year, you know, his numbers are not amazing, but if you look at it based on like what he should have allowed based on the shots that they were giving up, they're actually pretty decent. And I, I like, I will say last year, I thought he was really great. Uh, somebody says, uh, Thomas says, what's Jake Allen worth? I think, I think if he was on an expiring contract, they honestly might get like a low first round pick, but as it is right now, maybe if the Canadians hold back some salary, which they can do, they're rebuilding. Who really cares? I could see them possibly getting like a second round pick. Like, like Jared said, you don't actually need to get a ton for Jake Allen. You need to get a decent asset, you know, and that could be a B level prospect, a second round pick, something like in that range. You you're basically finding value in a player that's probably not necessary for your club moving forward anyway. And is only signed for one more year anyway, as well. Uh, one thing I did want to cover before we close it out, Jared is here. LeBron reported earlier this week that the Canadians under Hughes and Gorton might be looking to make a splash in free agency this summer to basically move the rebuild along. And I will say, I said the day that Kent Hughes was signed as GM, the Montreal Canadiens are probably going to aggressively pursue Patrice Bergeron. Now I've seen people say that Hughes has also let it be known that they're looking for a veteran center. It fits the mold. He was Bergeron's agent, bring him back home to Quebec. And I know people say that he was a Nordiques fan. I don't care. The Nordiques moved when he was a child. He was not a Nordiques fan his whole life. And people say that, Oh yeah. He said that he cheered for the Bruins after that. Sure. He did. Because he was drafted by the Bruins. That's why he said that. Players say that stuff all the time. Probably McAvoy hated the Bruins. You think he'll say that now? Of course not. But he deleted that tweet, which was fantastic. Everyone was tweeting it like the day that he was, when he was uh, drafted by the Bruins. <laughs> drafted, yeah. Like, who you like as a kid, sure, it bears some, like, passing, uh, impact on what you want to do later in life. But I don't know. I think there's a situation unfolding here where it's not wholly unrealistic that Patrice Bergeron could end up a Montreal Canadian in the summer. I think it's, it's a weird situation because it's a rebuild for him. And like, maybe he's looking for his last cup, but I could, I could see it happening. I could see it happening. That that little bit of tampering at the all-star weekend with Nick Suzuki getting photographs of him all the time. hundred percent. You know, uh, but no, but Chantel honestly, Maccabee set that up. Hey, <laughs> probably. I mean, you know, the, talk about transparency. That's a little bit too transparent, but anyway, <laughs> um, no, no, but seriously, it makes sense. Like you, you look, I was, what did I just talk about with having Jake Evans and Nick Suzuki and having somebody slot into that middle six role? Like there's, there's an argument to be said that you can build a playoff team slowly and, you know, to go with that big splash in free agency, there's also the whole kind of building and transformation of the roster, right? Like they might not trade guys for picks and trade them for prospects who are like a couple of years older. And he's kind of been hinting at like, we want to make this team ours, but without having to go through, not not shortcutting it in the sense that Mark Bergevin shortcutted it, which is like, we're going to try and go for it every year somehow. Um, but But just trying to like, finesse their way through it and when you have a lot of long contracts that the canadians do 
you're going to be trading for guys back with term as well. Like it's not going to be like a rebuild where you're just getting picks. And the, the Foley trade is a good example of that, right? Like Kent Hughes even said, like we could have gotten the second round pick, but we got Emil Heineman instead, a guy we like who was basically a second round pick. So, but with a couple I, of years of development already, right? Which is yeah, a bonus. Exactly. And, and that's kind of an underappreciated aspect of trading, right? Like, look, you, you have the option and you ask fans the option. Do you want a first round pick or do you want a guy who is going to be a, a, a second line player for his NHL career? Like, oh, we want the first round pick. It's a whole mystery box thing, right? Like, so, and I think that trading for known assets that are 20, 21 years old is an underappreciated uh, thing in, in, in hockey trading. I think that that's, you know, you look for ways that you can, you know, get above market value. I think that's a way you can do it. And trading for 20 year olds that might not be top, top prospects, but are solid prospects. Like imagine trading for like a 20 year old Arturi Lekanen. Yeah. Right? Like, well, you know, that's like, two of Bergevin's most celebra- celebrated trades, right? Phil Deneau, who's in his early 20s, mm-hmm. and Nick Suzuki, who I think was, he was probably 19 then, maybe 19, 20. Yeah. yeah. But like, that's the kind of trades that Hughes and Gorton are likely looking for and what they should be looking for, frankly, because nobody really wants to bottom out forever, right? And every team that strips it for parts, like, rebuilds do work. And I think there's a lot of negativity uh, from, like specifically broadcast people and former players about the idea of like bottoming out and really tanking, which makes sense. Cause like, you don't actually want your players to buy into tanking. That's the, the wrong thing. You want them to keep trying to win, but if you strip it for parts too bad, you know, it, it takes a long time to dig out of it. We saw it with Columbus. We saw it with Buffalo. Like it just, it's not necessarily a functional thing. Edmonton Oilers, hell, you know, how many first round picks did it take for them to get into the playoffs? And they still really haven't had success. Uh, Jeff Boyvera says uh, Phil Deneau just scored his 15th of the goal or 15th of the year for the Kings. Yeah, it's kind of funny that Phil Deneau and I think uh, Kanami as well would have been at times the leading scorer on this Montreal Canadian team this year. <laughs> kind of sucks to lose in, your... In fairness, uh, in fairness, I don't think they'd be putting up those numbers. No, um, not on this Nicky team. Montreal Canadians. No, you know, I, like I saw, like you know, you know, Michael Bunting. They were comparing Michael Bunting to to Nick Suzuki, or so. And it's like, yeah, okay, but you flip the two, and Nick Suzuki is going to put up like fifty points in Toronto. Like it's not, it's not the same thing. But yeah, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. All right, <laughs> we will Toronto again. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll wrap it up there. Uh, I will say this: there's somebody in the stream chat, Derek V, saying, "I'd love to know who of these guys have actually played a high level sport." It's easy to give your opinion when you've, when you've never played the sport. Uh, I have played the sport, obviously not at a high level, or else I'd be getting paid a lot more money to do that. But, uh, Derek, you show us your credentials, and I'll show you mine. Uh, I will say, if you think that uh, we can't talk about the sport because we're not playing in the NHL, uh, to put it frankly, you're a fucking idiot because that's not how the world works. Do you think that only directors can talk about what is and isn't a good movie? Like, grow up. Get get a life and go somewhere that people care about you. All right. Uh, we're going to wrap up Game Over Montreal. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in, except for Derek. Shut up. And uh, we'll see you again on Tuesday where uh, we'll talk about the Montreal Canadiens going for a sixth straight 